With that, we are going to continue our series today in the book of 1 John. And and I'll be honest with you, I, I really enjoy doing these expository series where we just kind of go through the text and hear what, all right, what is God saying to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and just to give a, an, a very, very brief recap of it, that, that John, when he's writing this, he is the last one of Jesus's 12 disciples that is, is alive. He's the last one of Jesus's inner circle that is... Um, that is still around, and he's writing this letter to a number of churches that are in Asia Minor, in, in modern-day Turkey, that had been planted, and, and he's writing for several reasons. One of them is that he is um, trying to reject and push back on some of the false teachings that have crept into this church by a, a group called the Gnostics. He's, he's writing to assure them and remind them of their salvation, that they are a part of the, of the family of God, but he's also writing to encourage them about how they love and they treat and how they live with one another. And if you recall last week, we ended with 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. It'll be up here on the screen where he said, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And, and he just finished a section where he was reminding his readers that the worldly systems, the worldly order of things, the way that this world operates is not going to last forever. That kingdoms and, and kings and presidents and nations and empires and movements and parties and economies and power, they come and go. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. Uh, Leon Trotsky actually popularized the, the phrase, the trash heap of history or the dustbin of history. And, and it's kind of like talking about these things that, that man has achieved, that man has put their, their hope in, that man has put their trust in. The things that we look for for control, they look to, that we look to for control, like when we take the long view, every one of those things ends up on the trash heap of history. But the things of God, those, that, those who do the will of God, those things that we do that, that uh, advance the kingdom of God are eternal. They last forever. Even if we don't see the results in our lifetime, those are the things that are truly eternal. And he's going to continue this thought a bit in the next section that we're going to be talking about. But before I get to that, does anybody remember like back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the wildly popular book series Left Behind? You guys remember, you guys remember that? Like, and it was all about the end times, the Antichrist, and all, all the crazy things that the authors depicted were going to happen in the not-too-distant future. It, it was a very um, dispensationalist, pre-millennial, pre-tribulation view of the end times, specifically looking at the books of Revelation and Daniel. And it was a book series that came out over the course of 12 years and, and has really done an awful lot to uh, shape the way that the church, the overall church's end times theology, or what's called eschatology. There were, there were also some left-behind movies that, that came out that kind of gave a, a visual uh, kind of took some very like obscure, difficult passages and, and prophecies and visions in the Bible and, and, and made them tangible and visible and real for many. And, you know, the idea was, all right, there, there were people disappearing, you know, a pile of clothes was left right where they had, where the people had been, planes were crashing because pilots had been uh, raptured and there was nobody to fly the plane, cars were crashing because the people had been raptured and, and you know, like it was just complete and utter chaos. 
Because those who were saved had been raptured and everybody else had been left behind. And I'm not going to pick apart all of the, those uh, eschatological um, thoughts and ideas with that. That, that will be a different series for, for a different day. Um, but there's always been this big fascination, this huge fascination with what's going to happen at the end. What, what's what's going to happen at the end? Um, and, and I've been asked by, you know, a number of people here at, at the church to, to do an end time series, and, and we'll likely do that at some point in the future. But, but throughout time, people have been wondering, all right, what's going to happen? What is it all going to look like at the end? There, there's an entire cottage Christian industry devoted to uh, people trying to attempt to discern the times, trying to figure out, all right, the, the, the things that are happening in, in the modern times, how does it fit into biblical prophecies? And, and for centuries, people have tried to predict a date for, for the return of Christ. When was the end going to come? And every one of them have been wrong. There, there was a book that came out called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988, yeah, I don't know if anybody remembers like a couple years back, John Hagee, he's a kind of an influential pastor down in Texas. He, he had this big thing about the four blood moons a number of years back. And, and it was this idea that there was a series of four consecutive lunar eclipses that aligned with Jewish holidays and that this was going to usher in the end times. In 1990, the late Pat Robertson predicted that the world would be destroyed on April 29th, 2007. Like, I mean, and, and I mean, there are, I was going to say dozens, probably hundreds, if not thousands of, like, ideas, thoughts. All right, this is what it's going to look like. This is what's going to happen. This is when it is going to happen. And we can look at Scripture, and there's a couple things we can know there's a whole bunch of things that we can't know, and there's a massive amount of things that are so incredibly unclear that we can only speculate about because using symbolism and imagery and metaphors. And so this morning, John is going to talk a little bit about the last days. And so I want to I just kind of like preface all that we were saying just a moment ago with what John has to say about what the end of days is going to look like. And so in chapter 2, starting in verse 18, John writes, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no one lie, no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That's a big mouthful. There's a lot that's in there. And, and so I want to kind of pick that apart 
a little bit. And, and so where we're going to begin is just focusing on that idea of the last days. So if you can put verse 18 back on the screen, I just want to say, or read again, children, it is the last hour. Like John is saying it as a statement of fact. He's saying, all right, right now, it is the last hour. And as you, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Now, four times already in this letter, John has referred to the, the churches as children or my children or my dear children. And if you recall, John is an old man when he's writing this. He's likely in his late 80s, early 90s. And, and he's, again, the last one of the original disciples. He's the last one left. He, like he, he's speaking to people who are three or four generations removed from the time of Christ. And so he's speaking to them as a spiritual father, a spiritual grandfather, a spiritual great-grandfather. But then he states, again, as a matter of fact, that at the time of his writing, he says, it is the last hour. Now, I don't know about you, but like when I think of the term last days, when I think about the end of days, I usually think about some time off in the future. Somewhere down on the horizon, someday, sometime in the future. But John says, this is the last hour now. More specifically, when he, when he wrote this 2,000 years ago, he says, all right, right now is the last hour. And, and that leaves us in a little bit of a conundrum. Because either John was wrong, and it really wasn't the last hour, or perhaps our understanding of what the last hour and the last days means might need a little bit of tweaking. And so if we, if we read the totality of Scripture, what John is saying is actually the common teaching throughout the entire New Testament about when the end of days, when, when the last days really are. And so to help us just kind of understand this, I want to take a look at, at a couple different New Testament writers about what they say about the last days. And so Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he says, he, speaking of Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. And so Peter is saying, all right, before God, before God created anything, Jesus was known. God knew Jesus. He had a plan for Jesus. He was going to be the Messiah. But he was made manifest in the last days for the sake of you. So again, like before God created anything, before the world as we know it existed, God had this plan for Jesus, his son, the Messiah. But he was made manifest in the last days, in the last times for our sake. Like God had this plan for Jesus from the very beginning and he was made manifest. He appeared. We, were, we, were, we became aware of him. When? He did it in a period that Peter calls the last times, the last days. When Jesus walked the earth, like he, he was obviously not meaning the last times or the, or the last days as in, all right, that we have only an hour to live, and so we better make the most of it, but he was actually thinking of it of, all right, right now, as Jesus was walking the earth, those were the last days. So in some ways, we have to kind of, we, we have to maybe change our thought process of what we think about the end times, what we think about the last the last days, that, that it's actually a much larger expanse of time starting when Jesus entered the scene up until today, that we are currently living in 
this period that God calls the last days. And, and I'll show that to you. Again, this was the common teaching throughout the New Testament. The, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, says that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through him also created the world. He said, all right, you know, like before, God spoke to his people through the prophets, but now in the last days, when it was written, in the last days, God is speaking to us through Jesus, through the Son of God. Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts, he records what Peter had to say on the day of Pentecost and and what happened on the day of Pentecost, that Jesus had been crucified, he was resurrected, Jesus had ascended into heaven, and his followers were waiting in Jerusalem just as Jesus had told them to do. And the sound of a a mighty rushing wind comes through. Um, All of a sudden, tongues of fire appear above the heads of those that are there. And they begin speaking in other languages. And those that were around, those that heard them speaking in these other languages, assumed that they were drunk. And Peter says, no, no, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. They're, They're not drunk. And Peter goes on to explain, all right, what is actually happening? And in fact, he quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. He says, and in the last days, meaning right now, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Like Joel was prophesying, and Peter was affirming that those last days when God was pouring out his spirit on all flesh was happening right then, in the last days. Even even Paul, when he's writing to his young protege, Timothy, he writes about what to expect in the last days in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. He says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will become, there will, there will, excuse me, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. And so John, all the other Old Testament, or excuse me, the New Testament writers over and over again emphatically were saying, all right, the last days began when Jesus walked the earth. When, when Jesus came, the last days were being ushered in. And it's continuing till now. And, and so this obviously like leads to the inevitable, inevitable question, all right, well then how close are we? Like if the last days began when Jesus was walking the earth, and it's still technically the last days now, all right, well then how much time do we have left? Like, how close are we to the the last of the last days? How close are we to the last day? And if you're ready for my answer, I have no idea. And neither does anybody else. And if I'm honest, I think that's the point. God knew what he was doing when he didn't give a set date and time. 
Like, do you remember a number of years ago when there, there was a lot of like debates and argument and back and forth going on about uh, having a, a withdrawal date for U.S. troops from Afghanistan? And, and, and what kind of like some of these debates hinged on was one side argued that if we give a specific withdrawal date, the Taliban, they're just going to kind of hold on. They're going to bide their time. And then after the withdrawal date happens, then they're going to move in and they're going to take over the country. And in some ways, like, God knows human nature. Like, he knows that we are procrastinators at heart. That if he gave us an exact date, what are people going to do? Instead of being ready, instead of committing our lives to him, instead of being prepared, instead of ushering in and and expanding his kingdom now, we're going to do what we do with our taxes. We're going to wait until April 15th to file. We're going to wait until Christmas Eve to go to our Christmas shopping. Like we're, we're going to wait until we have this great medical scare before we finally get healthy and start, you know, losing weight. Like I'm glad that God did not give us a specific date and time because if he did, I would wager that most of us would likely put it off and put it off and put it off and wait until the last minute before we ever wanted to do anything about it. And so he, he gives this very unclear, unspecific time of his return to us, I would argue, as a gift. So we are in the last days. How much longer? It doesn't matter. We li- if, if, if we live, in, I think what God desires is that we would live in the mindset that today could be the last day. Like, I don't know if you guys, if any of you are country music fans or if you know Tim McGraw's song, song Live Like You're Dying. And he's, he's writing it from the mindset of a guy who finds out that he's dying and, and he's going to try to make the most of every moment because he doesn't know how much time he has left. And some of the lyrics, and, and, and he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. And I love deeper... And I spoke sweeter, and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. I think God's motivation for that is, let's let's not live like we're guaranteed tomorrow is going to come. But what if we actually lived our lives as if today might be the last day? Like, what would be different about our lives? How, how different would my, would my life be if I lived in that manner? Like, how different would it be for us as a church if we were to say, all right, we don't know how much time we have left, so we're going to make the most of every moment we have right now. As I, as I was praying about this message, as I was putting this together, I felt like God was kind of really challenging me about a couple things in my life where Like, if I had one day left to influence my kids, what would that one day look like? If I had one day left to to truly love my wife, what would that day look like? If If I had only one day left to leave my fingerprints on this world, on the people that I love and I care about, what would that day look like? If my entire legacy was built on one last day, how would I live it? And I think that's the mindset that God wants us to have. We don't know how much time we have left. So let's live like we don't have any time left. 
And so for all the people that are trying to discern the times and figure out, all right, how much time do we have left? They're trying, they're trying to read the signs of the times. And in the end, I think God would be saying, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole point. It's not about when. It's about how we live until then, whenever then is. And then John goes on, not after talking about, you know, like, we are in the last hour. We're in the last days. And, he's, and then he starts talking about the Antichrist and the Antichrist. And so in, in verse 18, he says, children, it is the last hour, just as we talked about before. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists have come. And then skipping ahead a few verses to verse 22, he says, therefore, or excuse me, I'm sorry, finishing up 18. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And then he says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, but whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And you're thinking, all right, John, what in the world are you talking about here? Because he references the Antichrist that is prophesied about in, in Daniel. There's references to the Antichrist in Second Thessalonians and, and in Revelation. And if you, if you read the Left Behind books, this is who the character Nikolai was, was uh, kind of crafted after. But then he talks about Antichrist, plural, that are among us right now. You say, all right, well, what does that mean? And the word Antichrist literally means against Christ, opposed to Christ. And so John says, all right, the one who denies Jesus is to Christ, excuse me, the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the one who denies the Father, the one who denies the Son, he's the Antichrist. If we go ahead two chapters to 1 John 4, 2, and 3, he says, but you, but excuse me, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you, ha which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. He says something virtually identical in his next letter in 2 John in 2 John 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. And, and so when John is referring to Antichrists, he's, referring to, he's talking about people who are opposed to Jesus. Those that, those that deny that Jesus really is the Son of God. And, and, and John gives a warning about them. In verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. John, again, is referring to those false teachers that he was talking about earlier on. Those who were once in the fellowship. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about fellowship isn't something that we do, it's something that we are. That we are in fellowship together, that, that, that these antichrists that he's referring to are, are the proverbial wolves in sheep's clothing. They, they look the part, they sound the part, maybe they do the right things, but in actuality, they've denied Christ. In some ways, think about it like uh, Jesus referenced in Matthew chapter 7. He's talking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, not in verse 21, Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like people who did mighty things in the name of God. Like we prophesied, we cast out demons, we served, we gave in the offering, we, we came to church, we did all these things in your name. And there will be some that Jesus says, all right, depart from me. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And if you read what John says there, he says that they were once a part of us. They, they were once a part of of us. They went out from us. The implication being that they were at once a part of the church. They were once a part of the fellowship. They, they used to be one of us. And again, he's using this as an opportunity to warn once again, all right, there are some out there, even some who may be within the church, that would seek to lead you astray. He's saying, be careful. Be careful. And so I, I want to kind of wind down our, our, our time this morning with an observation about what John is writing about, about the end times, about the Antichrist, about what Jesus said in Matthew 7, and, and really kind of just about the Christian life and walk in general. And it's just really, really messy. This Christian life, this Christian walk that God has called us to is really messy, it's not, cut and, it's not as cut and dry as we might wish it was. That it takes effort and patience and time and energy. There, there are very few one-size-fits-all principles. And oftentimes our, our efforts to try to control outcomes mostly end in futility. And so let me, let me kind of explain. So, so John and Peter, and Paul, and Jesus, and Luke, and the writer of Hebrews, like, that's pretty much every author in the New Testament. They're all saying the same thing. The last days began with Jesus, and we're in those last days now. They've been going on for a long time. When will the last days finally be here? God's answer is, don't worry about it. I know, and that should be good enough. I want you to trust me. Instead of focusing on when, I want you to focus on how are you living until then. And often, that can feel like a very unsatisfactory answer. Because as, as people, and I'm this way too, like we like having concrete answers. We like to know. We like to have control. We like to know what to expect. And when things are left kind of up there in the air, when there's ambiguity, it makes it really difficult. It's uncomfortable. It's messy. When, when John is talking about the antichrists, those who deny and oppose Jesus that are right in our midst, you say, okay, but then last week we were talking about how John was saying, all right, every one of us, we're, we're at a different place in our journey with Jesus. We, there, there are some within the body of Christ who are spiritual infants, some who are spiritual adolescents, some who are, who are spiritually mature, and in the end... We bear with one another. We don't judge those who are at a different place. We hold, to, we, maybe, you know, those who hold to different convictions, those who are still working out their faith, those who are still struggling with, with sins and their own issues. 
we love them anyways. And so just because somebody might be dealing with a sin issue in their life does not mean, all right, they are one of these antichrists that John is talking about. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Because it becomes easy to judge somebody who we're not in relationship with. It becomes easy to judge somebody's motives, somebody's character from a distance. But when we do the hard work, when we do the messy work of actually getting to know people, to be uncomfortable, to be vulnerable, it becomes much easier to to value and to esteem them. To be able to to truly... uh, No, I'm not going to say it that way. (laughs) To be able to be discerning. about who they are. When, when Jesus said that there are going to be some who say, Lord, Lord, they cast out demons and they prophesied in his name and Jesus sends them away. Like he's talking about false prophets, false teachers. And again, it can be very easy for us to do what we talked about a couple weeks ago and start judging fruit. But if we read just a few verses earlier of what Jesus was saying in Matthew 7, he's talking about, all right, don't judge others because in the same measure that you judge others, that, that's going to be applied to you. And so what, what's our answer to, to, to all of this just kind of like messiness that is the Christian life, that is the Christian walk? What do we do with all of it? What do we do when it feels like so much is just kind of left up in the air that feels ambiguous? And the answer to to all of it may seem a bit repetitive, but it is John's main theme for this letter. And he comes back to it over and over and over and over again. And it's that we love one another. He keeps coming back to that over and over again. The answer to when Jesus comes back, don't worry about it. Just love one another well. Our answer to, to, to potential antichrists that are, that are in our lives, in our midst, love them. Their true colors will come out in the end. But love them anyways. Our answer to those who are professing Christ but living lives that, that maybe we feel are, are antithetical to, to the word of God, we love them anyways. Like God, God made our job very, very simple. That we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to know how it all works. We don't have to have the right theology and all the right beliefs. God says, all right, your job, just love people well. Let him sort all of it out in the end. And, he, and, and like I, I admitted before, it often does feel very unsatisfactory because we want that control. We want those answers. We want to know. We want to understand. And what I shared at the end of last week, are we, are we trusting in the eternal God or are we trusting in the, the worldly systems, the worldly answers, the worldly way of things? And John's invitation, Jesus' invitation to us is love others well and trust me in the journey. Love people well and trust me in the journey. Love people well and trust me in the journey.
So if you would, would you bow your heads? Let me just pray for us this morning. Lord, you are truly amazing. God, we love you so very much. And, and there's so many things, God, that, that maybe we just don't get and we don't understand, that we, that we wish we had answers to. And often, God, we desire those answers. We desire to have those things because we, we are looking for a, a, a modicum of control, Lord, that we're looking for things to be understandable, that, that can fit into our box, that we can wrap our minds around. And, and in the end, Lord, you are saying, you're asking us just to love other people well and to trust you in the journey, to trust you in the process, Lord. And I, and I pray that you would help us to do that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to live as if today is the last day. Lord, you said that we're, we're in those last days, that we, that we don't know when that, that, that final day, we don't know when you're coming back. But in the end, Lord, God, that we would have that mindset, that we would live our lives in such a way, Lord, that we would make the most of every moment. God, that we would love people well, that, that we wouldn't just go about the motion, we wouldn't just go about doing the things as we've always done them, but Lord, that you would help us to have that eternal mindset of, of recognizing maybe today is it, and I'm going to live my life in such a way, I'm going to love people in such a way that I'm not going to look back and ever have any regrets. God, help us to have that mindset as a church, as, 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 as parents, as, as spouses, as as workers, as just people of God, Lord, that we would have that mindset of, of knowing, let me make the most of today because I'm not guaranteed another. God, we just commit our church, our lives, our thoughts, everything to you, and we just declare once again today that we are trusting you. In Jesus' name, amen.